welcome to Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I am your host, Jesse Zuckman. And on the show today, I want to talk about everything that I know about going to the hospital for a mental health crisis. Um, going to a psych unit, going to the mental hospital, all of those words people use. If you have a crisis, you have, uh, you know, acute suicidality or you're in danger of hurting somebody else. Um, what do you do and what should you expect? And, you know, people don't talk about what happens at the mental hospital. They don't talk about um, when you need to go. They don't talk about what happens after. They don't talk about how you pay for it. People don't really know. So I, I get a lot of um, last minute kind of DMs like, oh my God, my friend is in crisis. How does the mental hospital work? So I thought it would be good to do an info dump just on everything that I know about going to the hospital as a, a patient who's been in the hospital, I think five times. Um, it's been, I think it's been five years since I have been admitted into a psychiatric unit, but um, I have a pretty good idea of how it all works. And there's a lot of basic information, especially just about like how to get in, how to get in without waiting, um, how the money works, where to go. There's like a lot of very basic information that would have saved me a lot of time if I knew going in. And it's a lot of basic information that people don't have access to. So I wanted to do a podcast about all of that stuff. Um, it's certainly not all of the information that there is in the world about going to the hospital. I'm sure there are pieces that um, a good therapist who knows, uh, you know, how things work or even an advocate might know things that I don't know. But as a patient, I know things that other folks might not know. So the, the purpose of this podcast is not intended to be an end-all, be-all, uh, all-encompassing um, podcast about how mental hospitals work, but it is an introduction to basic information of how the experience works um, and tips and tricks for making your experience a whole lot easier um, if you're somebody that needs to go or making... Um, the experience a whole lot easier um, if it's a loved one of yours who needs to go or a friend. Um, and, um, you know, uh, there might be even a couple of clinicians out there because not all clinicians get trained in exactly how the hospital works. They should be, and the good ones will be. Um, that said, you know, maybe that's part of the audience as well, depending on where you are and depending what your training is, so on and so forth. So, as always... Um, don't make any changes to your medical plan, your healthcare plan based on anything on the podcast. And we mean it. Um, this podcast specifically is not telling, is not about any kind of unique, um, uh, treatment like many of the others that we do. However, you know, you don't want to delay in getting care. You don't want to treat anything I'm saying as verbatim. You don't want to make any serious, uh, serious decisions with your healthcare based on anything that you're hearing on the podcast. If you have questions, which you will, and everybody's situation is different, you need to talk to your mental health care provider. And I really mean that. There might be something on this podcast that might not pertain to your specific state, might not pertain to your specific situation. This is not an end-all, be-all. But what this is, is if, you, if we had a long bus ride um, and you met me and you're like, you know what? I always wondered how the mental hospital worked. 
This is a patient explaining to you their experience and some tips and tricks for newbies who, uh, you know, that just might might make it easier. It's not a replacement for anything. Um, if you really need great specific information, I'll tell you how to get that. But just don't lean super heavy on this. Definitely don't say, well, I listened to that podcast, so um, I didn't go to the hospital because I learned X, Y, and Z. Don't do that. Um, if you're going to do that, turn off the podcast. Another, uh, you know, you also might want to turn off this podcast if you're feeling, um, if you're dealing with serious, serious, serious depression, you might want to be super careful with this podcast. Um, because we are talking about self-harm, we are talking about suicidality. This is a podcast designed to be listened to when you're not feeling that way, but you're someone who might think, you know, maybe in the future I want to go, maybe I'll have to go. This is a pre-crisis conversation. I am not qualified whatsoever to have to create a piece of media that is intended um, for people to use while they're in crisis. That's a whole other thing, and I don't know how to do it. So if you're feeling really, really bad and you think you might hurt yourself, I encourage you strongly to turn off this podcast, call your mental health care practitioner, and if you don't have one, um, to call the suicide hotline um, or to, and we'll put a link in the description, yada, yada, but easy to find, Google suicide hotline, you'll find it. I encourage you to do that or just call 911 if you're if you're at a place where um, if you found this and you're saying, um, you know, uh, I, I think I'm going to hurt myself. I think I need to go to the hospital. This ain't the podcast to be listening to um, at that time. Um, if you're in that situation, turn it off, call 911 and tell them what's going on for you. Um, this is not a replacement for any medical treatment whatsoever. So just so we're clear, if you like what you hear, you know, consider supporting the podcast consider supporting our work um, at Mental and Mental Radio. Um, you can check us out, mentalhealthmedia.org. And uh, you can subscribe to the Patreon, which we've just started. It's really uh, just a uh, tip jar at this point. And you can also uh, donate our GoFundMe at our GoFundMe, uh, which is linked on mentalhealthmedia.org. And you can receive a tax write-off for your donation. So with that said, let's get started. So why should you go to the hospital? Um, how do you know if you're in danger? Um, so my very unclinical perspective on this is if you think you need to go to the hospital, you probably need to go to the hospital. Um, the best thing about the hospital is not, that they're not going to solve your problems. Um, there's often no therapy. If you're having a, a, a crisis with managing your meds, they can help you with that. And they can just create a space where you can chill, get some food, be in a space that's super quiet. Um, but if you're in danger, you should probably go. If you think you might hurt yourself or somebody else, you might, you probably should go. If you have a loved one who's talking about hurting themselves, you probably should go. Um, the way clinicians figure out if you should go to the hospital or not, or if they're going to put you on an involuntary hold is kind of a long um, checklist of things. And it's way overly complicated. Um, 
than for anything I need to talk about. So I would just say, if you're feeling so bad, you think you might hurt yourself or even just like self-harm, you think you might, you know, like for me, I, when I was in really bad shape, I would bang my head. And if I was like doing any kind of violence to myself, time to go to the hospital. That's it. It's not, you know, especially when we're thinking about going to the hospital, we're oftentimes as patients consumed by feelings of shame, of uh, being a burden, of being too much. You want to like, you know, our defense, um, our trauma defense systems are in full swing, which makes us feel like, oh, we should very often makes us feel like we should take up just a very little amount of space that we should not try to make anything a big deal. Well, look, I, I get that. And that's just kind of what your brain does because you're not feeling good. But if you think you might hurt yourself, that's it. You got to go. So then the most obvious question is, if you realize you got to go to the hospital, how do you get to the hospital? Do you just show up? Do you just, uh, you know, do you call 911? You can do both of those things. But the biggest hack to figuring out the hospital is to already have a therapist who knows the system. And most therapists worth their salt or even a therapist that's in a sliding scale community clinic is going to know how the hospitals work and where to go and where, how you can afford it. And how, they're going to, uh, your therapist is like a concierge to the hospital. Um, without a therapist figuring out where you should go, being able to call around to see who has openings, so on and so forth, it can be a really much more unpleasant. It can, you know, if, so just, just so you know, when I've gone to the hospital and I had a therapist, this, the, the process would look like this. I would talk to my therapist. They would make an evaluation. I wouldn't have to do it myself. They would say, based on talking to me, do I need to go to the hospital? Yes or no. If it's a yes, they said, you know, hold on. I want somebody to make sure somebody's watching me. Right. And then they get on the phone and they start calling the local hospitals that they know are going to work for me. And uh, they see how many beds there are. And very often, depending on your area, hospital, uh, you know, psychiatric emergency departments are very, very full. So, um, you know, it's a thing to get you in and they might have to call around. They might call around to like close uh, you know, towns nearby. Um, they might, you know, have a, a specific relationship with a hospital or, or they might, you know, have gone to school with somebody who works there so they can keep track on you, of you easier. So, uh, but, but the long story short is that by them doing a lot of making a lot of phone calls before you go, they save you a lot of time. So instead of like sitting in a waiting room in a hospital, which is for me, I think not the best place for a, uh, a patient to go, um, while they're having a, a, a mental health crisis, um, instead of sitting in a, in an emergency room waiting room, if you have a therapist that can like, you know, make those phone calls for you, you can be at home eating your own food, being with your animals. Hopefully you have somebody watching you. And that person is on the phone grinding and they said, and then you get a call back and they said, you know what, go to the hospital in four hours, they're going to have a bed, you're just going to have to walk right in and they will tell you exactly what to say, they'll set it up and 
you know, not that it's the most fun experience in the world, but it's not super stressful. If you don't have a therapist going in, you could end up going to a hospital that's totally full that have other people in the in the waiting room and then they are trying to find you a bed there or somewhere else and you at that point don't have nearly as much control um i've done that and it was really not a great experience i went to i've been to a couple of hospitals in seattle where i've gotten it set up and it was breezy and i got in and it took an hour or so and People were nice and it was calm. And then I've gone to other hospitals where I didn't have a therapist at the time and I would have to sit in an emergency room. Some At some, some of them, they might restrain you um, in the waiting room. And it's just not great. That said, if you need to go, just go. But my point is if you... If you have any foresight whatsoever that you might need a hospitalization, it is just such a huge thing to have a therapist or a relationship with a therapist, even if you're not going every single week, even if you go once a month, I don't know what it is, but just to have that person that can help you get into the hospital and make a plan for you ahead of time to to let you know when you need to go to the hospital. So all of that... Uh, energy is just not on you. You're not sitting home ruminating, should I go, should I not go? You talk, call, call your therapist and they'll talk you, they'll let you know. Um, most therapists that I've had, you know, if you have a crisis, you can call them. A lot of people don't know that. If you're going to, uh, a, you know, a, a sliding scale clinic where there's, you know, a lot of different therapists and there's students and so on and so forth, um, they'll still have somebody on call and you can talk to them and they will also take that decision making you know they'll take take the choice away from you they'll just make a really good assessment you know god willing um if you should go to the hospital or not and that just makes everything easier and then hopefully they can figure out where you need to go how to get into the hospital um so on and so forth. And then when you are in the hospital, you kind of have an advocate on the outside. But, you know, all of that said, if you don't have a doctor and you think you're going to hurt yourself, call 911 and just get uh, just just get get somebody to watch you because suicidality is no joke. We lose so many people in this country, a million people a year around the globe. Um you know, pass away from taking their own lives. So if you're at risk for that, don't, you know, don't play games. If you ha if you think you're having a heart attack, you go to the hospital. If you're having a mental health crisis um, and you think you might hurt yourself, you should go to the hospital. Um, so a lot of people ask me like, well, what, you know, especially, you know, people that are doing holistic things for their mental health, how do you what do you do about that? You know, like, don't they just give you a whole bunch of pills? Um, and yes, uh, it's certainly a concern of mine. I wish there were better, there was better treatment. Um, that said, most holds, most hospitalizations in the United States are only for a few days. Um, you're not going to be put on a bunch of drugs that you don't want to be, that you can't get off of. Um, the most important thing 
in my opinion, is just that somebody is there to monitor you if you're at risk. Everything else you're going to be able to sort out later. There's no, um, even if you have, you know, e even if like I'm a person that has like a lot of adverse effects to medicine, um, you know, God willing, if you go into a hospital, they'll be able to work with you. It's not like, uh, it's not like the movies where, you know, they're just going to force pills on you. It's going to be a conversation with a psychiatrist. Everyone is going to be different, of course, right? But, um, but in my opinion, you know, the longest stay that you're probably going to have is going to be a week. And just to make sure you're safe, that is the absolute most important thing. Um, the biggest, the other big thing, you know, people are wondering, like, well, they're just going to put me on a bunch of pills. So the answer to that, I'd say, you know, maybe I don't think it's going to be as draconian and one lopsided. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, you'll get a psychiatrist after you leave the hospital and you'll be able to make med adjustments um, or hopefully get off. But that is a battle for another time. If you're in acute crisis, just go, make sure you're monitored, make sure you're safe. You'll sort the other stuff out later. So the other question people have is, how am I going to pay for this? Is this going to bankrupt me? You know, all the time we see on social media, somebody getting a big bill for, you know, going to the emergency room for some little thing. Um, this is an instance where it makes such a big difference to have a therapist ahead of time, to have a safety plan ahead of time, if it is possible for you. Um, most people don't get just super, super depressed out of nowhere, although it does happen. You know, maybe I shouldn't say most, but there's a good chance that you have some heads up. And if you are out there listening and you think, you know, I can imagine having to use the hospital, please work out a safety plan with the therapist. Give yourself some heads up. Try to figure out the hospitals in the area that make sense for you financially. Most cities have nonprofit hospitals, and those hospitals give you a big discount, especially if you're a person of limited means. So I think it's something if you make 60 grand a year here in Washington State, you don't pay anything. And if it's like up to $100,000 you uh, a year, uh, you know, you pay 50%. Don't quote me on that, but that's like a rough estimate of what it is. Um, so if you're a working class person, there's a very good chance you will not pay for the hospital. I have never paid for a hospitalization, um, especially since uh, I have been disabled. Um, it's just not a thing. But I also don't go to the for-profit, super fancy-dancy uh, hospitals. So this is an instance where you can find a hospital that is going to be a nonprofit hospital, that is going to give you a break. And the more heads up you have, the better that experience can be. So you can go to the hospital, know you're not going to end, end up owing a whole bunch of money, and that makes your recovery much more uh, possible. Um, while you're in there, you can chill and, uh, and, and deal with it. So uh, people ask, what is it like inside of the hospital, right? People want to know what happens. Is it like the movies? Um, I don't, I haven't seen too many, I don't know. I guess I've seen some movies where it's kind of similar. Um, I really like uh, that Green Day song, Basket Case. Um, 
That actually does look like the inside of San Francisco General uh, Hospital Psychiatric Unit. I actually wonder if they, somebody in the band had been in, <laughs> had been there. Um, so the answer is that none of them are, uh, you know, all the same. I will say in general, uh, hospitalizations have been a more peaceful, calm, um, and just kind of chilled out atmosphere compared to whatever I was dealing with at home. I think that's probably how, you know, a big piece of why they work. You also spend a lot of time hanging out if you want to with other patients who are all, you know, they're not the crazy people we see in the movies. They're crazy people like you, which is, you know, we got issues, but we're still, you know, you're not going to see like a, a dozen psychotic people all, you know, hearing voices and seeing visions. Um, you know, maybe there's a person like that, but it's not, it's not, an, I've never been in a hospital that's like an out of control vibe. Um, it's always kind of serene and calm and quiet and there's food. And honestly, every time I've been in the hospital, I've made friends. It's like, you know, you don't have a lot to do. So you end up talking to people and it's actually really nice because you form relationships and bonds and, um, you know, that's a nice thing. You know, if you're feeling crappy, you make some new friends and you can actually talk about why you're there, which you can't talk about with everybody. And, you know, there's not a lot of small talk in the mental ward. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really like that. I almost like am a little bit nostalgic <laughs> for the times I was in the hospital and making friends. Um, so, you know, uh, that's really what it's like. There's usually some kind of main room. Um, most hospitals, you know, you have your own room and then you can kind of come and go into the main room or not. I think most of them probably have a movie at a certain time. Some hospitals will take away your electronics. Some won't. I think most won't, but they do for sure take your charging cables because people are, they're worried about people hurting themselves with the charging cables. So, um, you know, usually a nurse will charge your phone, a nurse will charge your laptop, um, but also it depends on the unit. They all have different rules, but um, yeah, I, you know, most of my hospitalizations have been on the computer. I've been on the hospital Wi-Fi. Uh, I've been talking to my friends, um, talking to folks inside the hospital, inside the unit. Um, it's kind of good. I think that, you know, a charge won't last you the whole day. So you actually have to socialize a little bit. Um, but you know, it doesn't, most of my hospitalizations have not been like this disconnected experience, if that's a concern for anybody. Um, so what do they do in there? So like I said, it's almost never talk therapy. You don't have like an intensive psychotherapy where you sit down and talk to somebody. The psychiatric nurses in general in an, in a ward will do a lot of that work where they just kind of talk to you and see where you're at and get to know you a little bit and just kind of offer you some kindness. In general, that's been my experience. Um, there is a doctor on the floor. Usually there's like one leading doctor who is a doctor doctor who does psychiatry and might make some minor med changes, um, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a big med person, but again, if I had to go, I'd go. 
Um, and for some people, you know, if you have, you know, if, if you have a psychiatrist, it's not working out, you haven't been to the psychiatrist, you're having problems with your med load, whatever, maybe you have to go up, maybe you have to go down for whatever reason, they could help you with that. And that could actually be a really big help, regardless of if your life plan is a more holistic model, or just, you know, if you only are interested in meds, either way, it's probably a good thing if you're in that situation, in my opinion, in my completely non-medical opinion. Um, and the psychiatric nurses, they monitor your progress. The doctors monitor your progress. And after a while, they see if you're feeling a little bit better and you can go home. Um, the best, you know, I want to say, how many times have I said uh, the best thing? Um, it's a really great, re another reason to go to the hospital and a good thing that happens out of the hospital is that they will connect you to services. Most hospitals, when you leave, you have a plan and a social worker um, and very often, depending on how the state bureaucracy works, going to the hospital very well may open up other social support programs for you um, that you might not have access to otherwise or may speed up those processes. So it's another if you're on the fence, should I go? Should I not go? If you're somebody, you don't have enough, you know, you don't have a social worker, you don't have a therapist, um, you know, you're trying to get into a program, but you're on a waiting list. Very often, going to the hospital will, um, you know, fast track you for services. So, another thing that's good and it's super important because, and, and something to really note about the hospital, maybe the most important thing, is that the time when you feel better after you've been in the hospital is the most dangerous time for people hurting themselves. So, the biggest takeaway out of any of this is probably use a therapist if you can um, and on the way in and if you can on the way out and lean on people on the way out. Um, you need support on the way out. Very often people feel better, so they're up and they're out. Um, maybe they're taken away from you know the at-home stress. They have the support they need for a few days in the hospital. And then they crash and burn and they're out and about so they actually can end up hurting themselves. Um, so if you're out and about and you're feeling better, just make sure you don't just say, ah, heck it, I don't, I don't need to go to therapy anymore. I don't need to check in with uh, my friends. I don't need to pay attention to my care plan. It's imperative that once you leave the hospital for like I'd say a few weeks, a month, I don't know what it is, but for a while – Make sure you get that support because that is actually the most dangerous time um, is after you are in uh, the hospital. Um, and hopefully the hospital will allow you to, you know, get the services you need, so on and so forth. So, and also very often, especially in California, a hospital will help can help you get connected to disability, can help you get connected to Medicaid, can help you get connected to a lot of other um, you know, food stamps, other social services. So that can be really, 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 really helpful. So what is a day in, day, you know, uh, day in the life of the hospital? Well, for me, I would usually uh, wake up smelling breakfast and still go back to sleep because I am a, a night owl. Um, get up, usually, you know, since I am a night owl, somebody would you know, they leave uh, breakfast for me. I'd eat the cold breakfast or the melon or whatever. Um, check my email. Uh, maybe make a phone call. Uh, then sit 
and maybe play a game with people. Then maybe in the afternoon, they have some kind of like yoga or uh, just kind of support group that's very mild. They don't do anything intensive, but it's just kind of a hangout. Um, and then after that, they might have a time for visitors. If people want to come see you for an hour, usually your visitors can come into the main room and you just kind of sit and talk um, with them and then they leave. Um, what they can bring varies depending on a hospital. Definitely they cannot bring anything with strings, cords, or laces or anything sharp. And uh, yeah, I guess food is probably a case-by-case -case basis. Um and then, you know, maybe at night they have dinner. People generally kind of eat together. You know, a few people, I'm sure, eat in their own room, um, you know, especially if they're not feeling good. And then, uh, yeah, then there's usually like a movie or something. Um, and then people start winding, you know, after dinner they start winding down. And people go to sleep. And, you know, I'm a night owl, so I would stay up and do something on the computer. And that's kind of the day in and day out, but uh, slow pace, people talk to each other, people are generally friendly. Um, you know, not all hospitals are the same. Obviously, this goes back to the first point. If you can get a therapist to help you figure out what hospital is good, do that. Or if you could even, if you don't have that, just figure out what hospital is, gets decent reviews that is a nonprofit hospital if that's something that you need. Um, so, that's kind of the long and the short of it. If you have questions, let me know. I did ask for questions. So, um, but I hope I hope that's valuable information. You know, I, I don't know how long I just talked, maybe a half hour, almost a half hour, 20 minutes, something like that. But most people don't know a lot of that. So I wanted to, uh, to say what's in my brain, because that's basically the speech I give people when uh, they call me and they're like, oh my God, my friend needs to go. Do I need to go? So here you go. If you're not my friend, you can look it up on the internet and find out the basic things about going to the mental hospital, or going to the mental ward, going to the psychiatric uh, inpatient unit. All right, so questions. I asked for some questions online. What questions do you have? If you have more questions, send me a message over at mentalhealthmedia.org or uh, just send me a DM and I'll write them down and we'll get to it in a future episode. But right now, questions we've got. So Andrew asks if there's still electric convulsive therapy. Um, yes, there is. And this is something you actually do inpatient, um, which means you have to stay overnight before you do ECT, at least the first one. At least that that's how it was for the hospital that I went to. Um, yeah, some people think it's a really medieval thing. It's a very controversial thing. I, I probably would not do it again. But, uh, yeah, apparently they say it's like more, uh, they say it's more scientific than it used to be. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I know I definitely chip my teeth. And, um, if I had to do something like that again, I would have done TMS. I did not, TMS is like a, a transcranial magnetic stimulation therapy. And I didn't think I could afford it, but I didn't know that nonprofit hospitals offer, um, deep, deep discounts under a uh, charity care program. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't great for me. I think I did like 
four or five of them, you do, you know, ECT is not something you do once. You keep going back and back and back. The worst thing about ECT for me was getting uh, the injection of the propofol. I have like some bad reaction to that. And it's a super, super, super painful. Um, and my health did not do very well after I had ECT. I don't know if that was directly to do with ECT or not, but uh, yeah, they definitely still do it. Some people have good uh, results with it. Some people really like it. Uh, I'm not a fan. And I think there's like new things that are a little bit less uh, that won't chip your teeth and you don't need, uh, you know, you don't need to be knocked out to get done. Um, so uh, Romina, I think that's your name. I apologize if it's not. You have um, Twitter handle has some funky characters and I am very dyslexic. So if it's not Romina, I'm sorry, Romina. But she asks why, uh, you know, is there uh, arts and crafts available, library and instruments? Generally, no, because all of most of those things like people could eat or use to hurt themselves. So I think probably there's like crayons and stuff for some exercises. But generally, uh, I have seen places that had some books, but not really. So the answer to your question is not really. Um, at least not that I've seen. I'm sure there are some fancy ones. Maybe they have that. Um, Shanna, Shanna Blackham asks, is it all about receiving medication or adjusting it? I've heard stories that happens where you are and you're sent home. Um, so, yeah, I guess this is something I didn't make super clear. Is So if you have an involuntary hold, they can do that in the United States for 72 hours. I think it's 72 hours. Um which means if, you don't, if you're not there voluntarily, they'll hold you for three days. Um, and there's like this court and junk. It's like a court thing and like you legally cannot leave. Um, so most of the stays are in that kind of category where it's only a few days, uh, maybe a week. Um, you know, I get this take. Is it about medication sending you home? I guess. Uh, definitely not ideal. I think it's really about um, monitoring you during an acute suicidal phase. And usually medication, no medication, I think, my non-clinical perspective is that that probably wanes on its own. And especially being in an environment that is quiet, that has people who care about you, where you have some camaraderie with other patients, it's just a good space to be in to get over that hump. And then once you're over that hump, yes, they send you home. And, uh, but hopefully they connect you with services. Um, Janice asks, why do they seem unequipped to recognize and treat side effects of akesthesia appropriately? I have no idea. I, I have no idea about that question. I've had akesthesia. Uh, which is like, you know, the tingling in your legs where your muscles jerk and it feels terrible. Can't sleep. It's just a terrible feeling. Um, you know, hospitals are not there. They're not like, uh, you know, they're not the best psychiatrists on the planet uh, all the time. And to treat something like akesthesia, you really do need a great psychiatrist, unfortunately. It's just kind of where psychiatry is. It's still kind of in the dark ages, but the best of the best kind of know what they're talking about. That's my experience. Um, but a lot of psychiatrists don't know what they're talking about. So I would say uh, that's just kind of a universal rule for psychiatry. Um, still kind of in the dark ages, 
But, you know, I think, you know, for me, if I was going super, you know, going on a route where I really did want to re rely on meds, I would go to the hospital. I would have my psychiatrist, who was actually pretty good, talk to them. The psychiatrist, uh, you know, on the outside can can work with the doctors inside to make adjustments based on what your specific needs. Um, but that is probably a different video, but uh, does highlight why it is so important to have a psychiatrist who's really good uh, on your team. Even if you're someone who doesn't use meds or like meds, to have a psychiatrist who is open to the holistic realities that uh, you can treat yourself in other ways besides pharmaceuticals, um, with nutrition, with meditation, with taking care of yourself, with managing your relationships, with doing trauma therapy, um, you know, doing all of those things, uh, you know, that's uh, an important piece to have if you don't want to go down the med route. And even if you do, having someone who knows what they're talking about is important. Uh, slow Z slows said going to a psych ward is the reason I take such good care of myself. I never want to go back. Um, I understand this perspective. Uh, you know, I, I, I've never really had a terrible experience in the psych ward. I did have one experience where I had a, someone in the psych ward really mess up my clonopin taper and it, it was really bad and dangerous. Uh, you know, that said, generally, if I had to go back, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, Genghis, yada, yada. I'm sorry, guys. I, friends, I am very dyslexic. If you have a funky name that I have not heard before, I probably cannot really read it. So, uh, Genghis asks, does the Joker get the biggest suite? All the suites are the same size. I have never seen the Joker. Except the Joker that lives inside all of us, and we all get the same suite. Amanda asks, if you visit someone there, what can you bring them? Um, Amanda, that's a good question, and you should ask the hospital, because they are all going to have different, uh, different um, rules. And I would call the hospital... If it was me and I had a friend in the hospital, I'd call the hospital, say, what restrictions do you have on what I can bring people? They might say, uh, you know, anything but uh, shoelaces and a cable. Um, or they might say, uh, bring whatever you want. After you have that information, call your friend and ask them what they need. You know, if they uh, really want some strawberries and you're allowed to bring strawberries, bring them some strawberries. Um, it's really going to depend on a case-by-case -case basis, and it might require a couple of phone calls. So Patrick says, psychedelics helped me more than any hospital. I spent years getting help for depression and anxiety. Didn't do anything except further cement the illness with a few psychiatric sessions, psychedelic sessions. I have gotten past my depression and anxiety just a few sessions instead of years. Well, that's great, Patrick. I'm glad. But these are two totally different um, you know, things that you need, uh, you know, if you're in an acute, you know, suicidal, suicidal state, you do not want to be eating a whole bunch of mushrooms and sitting in your bathroom. I've actually done that and I don't recommend it. But, uh, you know, if you are at danger of hurting yourself, do not do any street drugs. That is just the absolutely probably the worst idea I can imagine. 
Um, if you need monitoring, go get monitoring. Psychedelics cannot monitor you. And if you're in an acute um, state of crisis, uh, you know, may, you know, maybe there are some psychedelics out there in the future where they will figure out how to use them to calm people down. Maybe in the future there, you know, I could see ketamine being used. Maybe in the future I could see MDMA, you know, maybe they could figure out how to do that. But we are living right now and those protocols do not exist for acute suicidality. Um, and, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't 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 uh, throw dice with your life. You know you don't want to just be gambling with your life here. So uh, you know if uh, if you're someone you're in a somewhat stable state and you decide to go out and try psychedelics um, with somebody who knows what they're talking about, that's still illegal at least for right now. It's going to change very quickly. Um, just make sure you're around people who really know what they're talking about. Make sure you are not with you know. A, uh, a scammy kind of guru healer type. Um, be very, very careful. Psychedelic drugs are very strong. And, you know, everybody likes to pretend that psychedelics never, ever hurt anybody. Um, anybody who's been around the scene of psychedelics and is really honest with themselves will tell you there are people who don't come back. So, um, and... In the future, we will probably know how to deal with those situations better to make sure people don't have permanent damage. Um, that said, it's super rare, but it happens. Um, and I, you know, I don't know anybody directly that it's happened to, but uh, you know, if you really want to see it in action, check out uh, uh, the Hated documentary, but Gigi Allen documentary. I'm sure it's on YouTube now. Um, Hated the Gigi Allen documentary. That guy. Uh, was a normal person. He took LSD and then he became a complete narcissist, uh, homicidal, suicidal maniac. So uh, it's not like you can just say, hey, don't go to the hospital. Take uh, these harmless psychedelics. It's just, I understand, you know, it's a nice thing that people like to believe, but uh, I don't think it's reality. That said, I think psychedelics have huge promise and are going to heal and help a lot of people. It's just not something you can do on your own willy-nilly and think there is no chance of it going really wrong because there is definitely a very real chance of it going wrong. Ernie, why is treatment so expensive? Um, you got to ask Bernie Sanders why treatment is so expensive. Um, you know, in this country, we have private insurance companies. Um, we have no collective bargaining or negotiation like other uh, like other countries. So basically hospitals can charge whatever they want because we have no bargaining leverage really. But, um, like I said, if you go to a nonprofit hospital, they will usually work with you as long as you don't have a ton of money. Uh, Rupert Cheek, how long do they keep, uh, patients in before letting them out? How do they know, decide when it's safe, responsible to let you, go home. You know, they have a way to deal with that. It's like a long list and I don't have it in front of me, but you know, I imagine they're looking at, is this person still thinking about it? What's their body language like? Are they interacting with other people? Are they still withdrawn? You know, so on and so forth. Is their medication stable? How long have they been on the medication? And also they're probably looking at, um, you know, other factors that, um, have to do with suicide risk, which includes, you know, are you having a financial crisis? Are you a man? Because men are much more likely to um, complete 
uh, you know, uh, uh, taking their lives. Um, you know, there's a lot of other data that goes into the, into the, uh, the algorithm. Um, so Pablo uh, says that he, that he had a very, very bad experience at a mental hospital. I'm so sorry, Pablo. It sounds like, you know, that, that this person was hurt in a hospital. I'm sure that happens. I don't think it's the norm. Um, another reason to really, really, if you think you might have to go in the future, be working with a, working with a, um, a therapist who can help you find a good place and can be an advocate for you if something unexpected goes wrong. Aaron says, I was lucky enough and ended up in a decent one, but maybe talk about why there are different units, adult psych versus trauma versus core morbid uh, addiction versus military. Um, also the vast difference in private pay psychs care versus any standard health insurance. I've actually never seen different units like that. I have seen in some uh, general hospitals that there is like a, um, like a jail, like a, some people that have been involved in a crime kind of unit. I don't know that much about it. Um, so I, I've never seen that. I don't think it's normal to have four psych units in a hospital, although I could be wrong. Um, also the vast difference in private pay psych care versus any standard health insurance. Uh, I've not really seen that. Um, I've been in, I mean, I've never been in like, well, I don't, I'm trying to think. No, I don't, I don't think that's a, I've never seen this. Um, I've been in hospitals like Swedish here in Seattle. It doesn't matter if you're private pay or Medicare, you get the same service. Um, what does matter is the hospitals themselves because some of them are more set up to deal with uh, to deal with us than others. So like Harborview is mainly a, an ER that is designed to work with people that have like been in car accidents and stuff. So if you go there for psych, they don't really have psych. So they have like a small little unit that's not nearly as well as equipped as some others. So that's what I've seen the difference more. I've never seen people being treated differently depending on if they have private or public insurance. Um, Joy, do providers truly believe that people can and do recover from their mental illness slash substance use? If they don't have hope, how do individuals receiving help have hope? I mean, a great question, Joy. And I don't think it's a question for the hospital, though. Hospital there, you're only there for a few days to help um, to get through uh, a difficult time. Um, that said, there. I have met, certainly have met uh, psychiatric nurses who do believe recovery is possible. I think overall in the psychiatric, uh, you know, profession, people kind of don't think full recovery is possible for a lot of problems. Um, but I don't think that's a hospital issue. I think that's a psychiatric issue. And that said, psyche, psychiatrists who are really keeping up on the science and who are really smart and really dedicated, they know people get better. And uh, so I would stay away from bad psychiatrists. I would stand, stand, stay away from bad therapists. People who don't think recovery is possible, stay away from me. It's, you know, as you're getting to know your doctor, I think this is a totally reasonable question. 
do you think patients get better? Do you think I could recover and get my life back? If they say no, that's a big red flag for me, I'll tell you. I appreciate you bringing that up, Joy. Dave, the fluffy bunny, says, I have a vague understanding that Reagan overhauled the mental health system in California, not in a good way. Is it true? And in what way is it an oversimplification? I mean, I have been in hospitals in California, and it is... I honestly don't know the history as well as perhaps I should, but that is a real thing. Um, you know, they decided, from what I understand, um, and, you know, I haven't done the history on this, but from what I understand, they decided to, like, instead of having inst institutionalized, um, at least in California, they, instead of having people be institutionalized, they gave people money, so then... You know, you have a lot of people in the tenderloin that do get a government check, but do not have the capacity to take care of themselves. So it's just a mess. Um, uh, but yeah, there's as far as I know, unless you're paying cash for like a very private um, like retreat kind of thing, there's not real long term inpatient in the United States. Um, that's covered by health insurance. Maybe it's out there. If I'm wrong on that, please let me know because I would love to know. I don't know anyone. I know dozens of patients. I never heard of that. Um, I remember the last time I was looking at the hospital, I did find like this place that looked like a retreat to go if you have depression where you sit in the woods and learn to meditate, but that was definitely not like something that's covered by health insurance. So um, as far as I know, there's not really long-term inpatient and it is really, really needed and yeah, it's not really a conversation around Medicare for all. It's not really a conversation that anybody is having. Uh, on Twitter, unfortunately, I see a lot of people saying, you know, we shouldn't have institutions. Um, you know, maybe we need, you know, I, I would love for this to be a conversation in the mental health community, because obviously having people in, you know, people who are acutely suicidal need more than like a few days to get their stuff together. Um, it would be great. It would be an amazing thing to have a program where people keep having crises to have a place where you could go away for a few months and figure out your housing, figure out, you know, a way to work a little bit, figure out, um, you know, maybe work on relationships, figure out, you know, just getting your basic support taken care of. Um, Figure out how to cook when you're ready for it. Figure out just basic, basic stuff that so many of us struggle with. And, you know, so many of us are just like trying to figure out how to survive day in and day out that that kind of care and time. It's just it's hard to make time for it. Right. So um, it's really, really. Uh, it's really, really, really important. Um to do that but we just don't have that we got three days but i'm glad it's there right so like it's easy to get really tangled up in politics or is this the perfect system and there's a lot of noise around talking about going to the hospital um but long story short if you're gonna hurt yourself just go get monitored we're gonna figure out the politics another day <laughs> you know, and uh, I would love to be a part of a movement that encourages more holistic care, that encourages people to have places to stay, that encourages people, um, you know, gives us a real supported pathway to becoming part of society and contributing and receiving and um, engaging. Um, yeah, unfortunately, 
the hospital is not where that happens. So I don't know, maybe I'm rambling, but it's just that question on top of uh, a few of the others. You know, people want to have a very complicated conversation about the hospital. um, And I think those conversations are valid. But what it comes down to is that if you're at risk, get monitored. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you do find this conversation valuable, um, consider supporting us and helping us bring actionable, real mental health information uh, to people, information made by patients for patients. You know, we keep talking, keep talking mental health, keep, you know, put up a yard sign, let people know you're not alone, yada, yada, yada. Um yeah, that's great, but it doesn't really help people unless you're doing something. So we are giving people actionable information. We're not just saying, it's going to get better someday. Have a nice day. Keep talking mental health. That's great, I guess. But uh, sometimes in our society, especially here in Seattle, Washington, we have a tendency to say things So we get out of doing things, like kind of a thoughts and prayers kind of thing. I see that a lot with mental health. So if you're tired of the thoughts and prayers, you know, keep talking mental health, smash the stigma, now go figure it out on your own. Um, If you're tired of that kind of mental health media and you want to see something else, please support our work and make a tax-deductible contribution, mentalhealthmedia.org. You can click on the donate button and figure out how to help us. We really appreciate it. Um, So a little bit of credits. uh, Executive produced, as always, by our always fabulous A.V. Flox. Special thanks to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, and Patrick Mohan. Thanks to all of our GoFundMe supporters, Mecky M., Carolina P., Ryan P., Chip N. Nads, Metal D., Paul Marlowe, uh, Joel R, Ben G, Vinny R, Patty M, Sean H, Linda E, Franklin G, Johnny P, Sophia M, Jackie M, Bob S, Rose P, Jeannie A, The Handy House, Tim W, Stephanie P, Patrick L, Stephen J, Judy B, David L, Stuart M, Jim E, Cass G, and Sean D, The Small, uh, Alex B, Marilyn S, Colin F, Lauren B, Patricia M, Phil A, and Ivan M. Um, music that you heard at the beginning is Drugs of Choice by Hans Adam. Thanks for listening. Um, until next time, you can find me over at Zookman at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N on Twitter where I post about mental health several times a day, have conversations regularly, all day, every day, um, with my friends, fellow patients who are dedicated to their recovery and in, in spreading a conversation about how we all recover in our own ways. Um, so yeah, come join the party. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Zai Gesundheit.